Hey, everybody. Welcome into the podcast. We're back with another special bonus episode. Bonus episode. Today, we're doing something that we haven't done in a while. We are going to be doing a blind tasting. Bob, for those people who have never heard of a blind tasting, can you explain what it means to blindly taste things? Yeah, so before we hit record, Brad and I just punch each other in the eye sockets as hard as we can so that we can't actually see what we're reaching for. Yes. Yeah. No, a blind tasting. <laughs> a blind tasting is where you have uh, samples of multiple different whiskeys, and that you don't see the bottle, you don't see the label, so you don't know what you're drinking ahead of time, and it's only revealed after the fact. It's supposed to take out, you know, some potential bias that you might have when you're tasting whiskey. It's kind of like those cheesy commercials where, like, Pizza Hut makes a bunch of different pasta, and they serve it to people at a fancy Italian restaurant, and they're like, mm, yes, this is very good pasta. Ha! It's actually Pizza Hut, sucker! <laughs> this is basically the Pepsi challenge of whiskey tasting. <laughs> nice. So today's blind tasting is being being provided to us by Big Escambia Spirits down in Alabama. We were talking with the master distiller Seth Detling. Now, Big Escambia is actually making some pretty big waves among bourbon drinkers because their stuff is supposed to be just absolutely phenomenal. And so we were interacting with Seth on Instagram, and he decided that he wanted to do this really fun thing. He picked three or four of their Instagram followers, including us. We are among the privileged few. That is right. And he sent out five samples of whiskey to each person. Now, what he had done, unbeknownst to all of us, is he had chosen these five samples from six bottles of whiskey. So no one who received a package from him actually got the exact same flight. And they were just labeled A, B, C, D, E, or F. And it was a mix of one of those letters. And so we got five samples in the mail. We don't know what's in these bottles. We were told that some of them are from Big Escambia. That's their own whiskey. And some of them are completely different whiskeys that he poured out of other bottles. So our job is to drink these, talk about our honest opinion, and then rank them. Yeah, and I think this is a really awesome way for the Film and Whiskey podcast to grow in our appreciation of different whiskeys and different flavor profiles and so on and so forth. So the, these types of things are so much fun for us to bring you new products that you guys might want to try at some point. So in full disclosure, this was actually accomplished a few weeks ago, and everyone who received their package from Biggest Gambia has already done the blind tasting, except for us. We're on a little bit slower of a production schedule because we're producing recorded content. So they actually gave out the key a few weeks ago and, and like what all the whiskeys were. And in order to avoid spoilers, I actually had my wife go back and relabel all five of these sample bottles, and she eliminated the letters and made numbers out of them. So we're just numbered one to five here. We have no idea what these whiskeys are, and we're going to go through them in a row, starting with number one. Whiskey number one. Brad, what are you picking up on the nose of this bad boy? It smells like whiskey. There's like a candy sort of smell to this. And it's not its not like a, like a bubble gum. I can't quite place it. It's almost like a candy cane. Like, like a minty smell? Yeah, it's got like some mint going on in it. I don't know if it's peppermint or spearmint. I really, really like this, but it smells sweet. I'm not sure if I'm getting the mint that you're picking up there, Bob. Honestly... I'm really getting a strong smell of ethanol here. Okay. Which I don't, you know, we poured this a few minutes ago, so it, the ethanol should be dissipating off of it. Yeah. Smell-wise, but I'm not getting much other than that. And maybe mint was the wrong term. The more I smell it, the more it just smells kind of earthy. You know, the the, the more I kind of stick my nose down into the glass here, I almost get like a fresh-cut grass sort of smell 
there's definitely some sort of like herbal earthy thing going on in this for me. Yeah, I feel like a whiskey novice right now because I'm really struggling to pick up many notes of anything. I mean, and I just might be off. Let's take a sip. All right, so I'll say it's pretty thin in like the mouthfeel and it's not sweet at all. It has a pretty bitter taste and finish to it, which I'm really surprised by. Uh, yeah, I'm man, I'm really struggling with this one. It genuinely tastes like watered down gasoline. <laughs> And I know that sounds like a really harsh take. Um, it's not It's not offensive, but I'm not really... Honestly, I don't taste anything on this. I am getting just really slight notes after I swallow on the finish when I breathe out of a little bit of that classic bourbon sweetness and vanilla, but it's not present on the taste at all. I don't know, Bob. This honestly has a very different flavor profile for me than most yeah. whiskeys I've ever had. I, I'm not a big fan of this. So because we have so many whiskeys on this episode, we're not going to individually score nose, taste, finish. Brad, if you were just going to give this a score out of, what do you want to say, 40? Well, yeah, 40 because we don't have value. Right. Because we don't know the price. So yeah, let's do it out of 40. What Honestly, would you give this? a 15 out of 40, wow. if that... I would probably give it closer to a 25. I'd say it's it's probably closer to like all sixes across the board for me. So we're going to split the difference and we're going to say that bourbon number one is a 20 out of 40, which leads us to bourbon number two. Let's go ahead and pour this out. All right. So bourbon number two, I am immediately picking up a lot more alcohol in the nose. I would suspect this is higher proof. Oh, 100%. The ethanol smell is quite strong with this one. And... <sighs> So that Star Wars reference? <laughs> Thank you, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say that it's it's still pretty subtle. It's not a it's not really prominent, but the classic bourbon notes are there on the nose more than the last one. It definitely gets some more like a caramel, uh, some brown sugar, way more than the last one. A little more oak, kind of those woody. Definitely. Yeah, but yeah I would agree. But it still doesn't have an overly sweet smell to it. Yeah, it's not a very strong nose. Well, let's go ahead and give it a sip. Bourbon number two. Yeah, this honestly reminds me a lot of bourbon number one. If I had to guess, this might be a part of the biggest Scambia line uh, based on the similarity to bourbon number one. Yeah. And unfortunately, it, it has more flavor. There's more of a depth to this whiskey, but I don't know if the flavor profile has reached a point where I would call it a good whiskey. Yeah, everybody that listens to this podcast knows that I like my sweet whiskeys, and this is definitely not a sweet whiskey. However, I like this significantly more than number one, and I don't know that I'm even prepared to say that I think number one and number two are from the same family. So this does have different flavor notes to it, but again, Brad's right. It's not sweet. All right, so Brad, if you're going to score this out, what would you give it out of 40? Yeah, so this one has a lot more depth than whiskey number one, so I am going to raise my score, but there's still not a lot of different flavor going on, not a lot of complexity. I'm going to give it a 20 out of 40. A 20 out of 40. I like this one better than bourbon number one. I definitely at least give it a seven on the nose. So I'm going to go ahead and round this up to about a 27, let's say, out of 40. So that would put us at a 23 and a half out of 40 on bourbon number two, which means we still haven't really found an exceptional bourbon yet. But luckily for us, we have three more to go through. So Brad, what do you say we pour out bourbon number three? Honestly, I'm kind of excited for bourbon number three. It looks a little bit like a deeper color to me. So I'm kind of excited to try it. Let's do it. All right, so bourbon number three. That smells like a bourbon. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. It's got those those really deep, sweet, candied notes. Yep. You can you can smell the depth on this bourbon right away. It smells like brown sugar to me. Yes, one hundred percent. And molasses. Like it's it's really, really and Brad even said it, the color is darker. It just it has a darker aroma to it. It feels like it was aged a little longer. Yeah, probably. What do you say we give it a sip? Wow. Oh man. Oh, that's fantastic. I uh, think the proof on this might be a little higher as well. I'm going to walk you through what just happened <laughs> on my tongue because I took a sip and it was like immediately a classic sweet bourbon. Brad and I both let out a sigh of relief like, yep. oh, this is what we're used to. I move it to the back of my palate and I swallow and it becomes immediately bitter. It uh, almost like more wood notes than the brown sugar notes. And then when I swallowed, it was an immediate coffee bean. Like, mm. I'm getting a ton of black coffee on the huh. end of this. It's super complex. It goes through so many different flavor variations. Brad, I don't know if you picked up quite on that, but especially on the finish, it was like, it was just straight black coffee. Yeah, I was very impressed with this particular whiskey. I, I think that there's complexity there that you didn't find in the first two. I would probably end up giving this a 35 out of 40. Well, let's stick with a 30 out of 40. 32. <laughs> I'm changing my You're score all, all around. Eights across the board, you think? Yeah, we'll say 32. I would probably also give it a, you know, I'll say 34 so that we can balance out to a 33 out of 40. This is a really, really good bourbon. Yes. Not even knowing what it is yet, I'd recommend. Yes. All right, and that takes us to whiskey number four. This one also has a really dark character and color to it, really similar to number three. Brad, what are you picking up on the nose? Wow, that nose is interesting. The first thought that popped in my head was like a fir tree. Hmm. Yeah, I'm actually getting more like savory, salty notes on this. It's really interesting. It's definitely not bourbon-y yeah, in it, the classic sense. I don't sense. think it's a scotch. No, it's definitely not a scotch, but it almost like being the fat guy that I am, I like I immediately thought of like ramen noodles. It's a really saline, heavy almost like an MSG smell on this thing. Yeah, that's a great way to describe something, Bob. <laughs> you quintessentially fat, lazy guy. I hate you so much. <laughs> yeah, it almost has like this smoked meat sort of smell. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah, there's definitely some sort of saltiness going on here. Uh, let's take a sip and see if that translates to the taste as well. I'm telling you, this tastes like a brick of ramen noodles. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it. It's like it's got that sort of like MSG flavor to it. I don't I, see. I don't know if I could put a flavor to MSG. I never really ate ramen noodles in my life. I literally ate ramen last night. That's why, ah. <laughs> that's why it's like fresh on <laughs> my mind. Fresh in the brain. Right. Yeah. I don't I don't know about that whole MSG take, but I do think it is kind of salty. Yeah. Um, I It's still sticking with me. That idea of a fir tree, mm. you know, something like sort of evergreen Christmas tree. Okay. So how would you describe the finish on it, Brad? Strong. Like, I, like I don't want to be reductionistic, but yeah. it, but it's a decently strong finish. There's some peppery kind of stuff going on. Uh-huh. It doesn't taste thin in no. the mouthfeel. Yeah, the, the mouthfeel really lasts for a while. It sits on your palate. The finish does, for sure. Yeah. I, I just, I can't escape this sort of, like, saline, salt-heavy flavor profile of this. But, but Bob, how viscous is it? Oh, it's it's incredibly D viscous. Describe the viscosity for it's, me. It's syrupy. <laughs> it does have some decent legs on it. I don't think it's as high proof as whiskey number two, for sure. So, Brad, how would you score this out? I would probably give this like a 26. 
out of 40. Like, it's pretty good. I, I'd be interested in trying it again, but it's not my favorite. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and give it a 28 out of 40, which would bring our average to a 27. I would venture to say this is the most unique whiskey we've had so far today. Yes. Oh, 100%. Whether that means it's good or bad is kind of in the eye of the beholder, but it's definitely its own thing. For sure. And that leaves us with only one more bourbon to try. Why don't we take a sip of bourbon number five? This has some really classic bourbon notes to it, but in a in a very specific kind of vein. Like this reminds me of the Elijah Craig that we had last season. It has a lot of that really nice char and smoke to it. It smells like it's been aged for a while. And it has that like beautiful sort of caramely. This is the kind of bourbon I like nosing. Yeah, I don't know if I fully agree with you on the classic bourbon smell. This one also smells like a different type of wood to me than a, than a traditional oak-barreled bourbon. Oh, interesting. And But remember, again, like I said, this reminds me of Elijah Craig. You were not a fan of Elijah Craig. I was Craig. not a fan you of Elijah Craig. You typically have not liked smoky bourbons. And again, you know, smoked peated scotches are different from smoky bourbons. And it just seems like the kind of smoke that you get on a bourbon is something that's just not up your alley. Yeah, and I've enjoyed those smokier scotches. But like you said, these smoked bourbons, they, they just, it feels like there's too much competing. You know, bourbons should be sweet. And I don't think they should have this type of smoke on them, in my own personal right opinion. Well, let's give it a sip and see if it's sweet. I actually do think this is quite sweet. This is this is this is what I would consider like a pretty good baseline bourbon. I mean, it's it's sweet. It has a lot of pepper spice on it. Not an alcohol burn, but like peppery spice. The finish is not immediately dissipating, but it's you know it's there. It gives you the Kentucky hug going down. I, this is probably something that's about a hundred proof. I would think. I really like this. If we were just picking like your everyday sipper out of this five whiskey flight this would be my preference i don't know if it's the best one in the flight but it's the one that reminds me most of classic bourbon yeah on the opening mouthfeel it it tastes kind of thin but i would agree with you it does have some sweet notes that i wasn't picking up on the nose i think i would probably agree with you this would be the bourbon i would want to drink the most out of the five that we've had yeah i like it a lot now, because we've had five bourbons, I'm I'm kind of struggling to differentiate between them in my mind already because we gave bourbon three a pretty high score. Yeah. That one we thought was not as high proof as number two. It was darker in character, but this one just hits all the notes that I like. And so I'm, I'm struggling to remember, like, is this better than bourbon three or is it just that it's my preference over bourbon three? I would say this is probably a better one than bourbon number three. I really liked this yeah. a lot. I think that if I was going to score, yeah, actually, you know what? Let's let's just resample number three really quickly. Okay, so we just sampled bourbon number three again. I will say it has a lot more of those woody, piney notes to it. It's it's more bitter. It's not as sweet. Number five is insanely more drinkable than number three is. I yeah. still think number five would be my preference. Yeah, three three to me has a little bit more complexity maybe, but I wouldn't say it's a better whiskey. So what would you score this out of 40, Brad? I would probably give it like a 32. Yeah, I think I would probably give this like a 35. So that puts us out to a 33 and a half out of 40, which is only a half point better than what we gave number three. But if you gave me the option of the two, I think I'd pick number five every day. Most definitely. All right. So, Brad, if we're going strictly by scores, we have number five in first place, followed by number three, 
followed by number four, which we said was the most unique of them. Number two was in fourth place. That was the one that we thought was really high proof. And number one was the one that we thought was probably the, the weakest of the five. Yeah, I would agree with you, Bob. I, I think that number one struggled in certain areas that the other whiskeys didn't. And I would probably say number two struggled in similar areas. But overall, like all five of the whiskeys were drinkable. Yeah, and I really do want to test your hypothesis here that one and two are both from the biggest Gambia line. I, I will say one and two reminded me of each other and three, four, and five reminded me of each other. So my my scientific conclusion, you know, my hypothesis would be that three, four, and five were of a line and one and two were of a line. Well, Brad, what do you say we reveal the results of what we've been drinking? You know what? How about we just leave it, you know, nebulous and we never <laughs> we actually, never say, actually say yeah, what sure. we were drinking. Okay, so Brad, what do you say that we start with the one that we rated the lowest? Yeah, that sounds great to me. All right, so in last place, whiskey number one. Was actually an old charter from the 1960s. Uh, Seth is actually not sure if it came from the 1960s, but he says if it is from the 1960s, then it was from the old Shenley Distillery. I'm actually really surprised because I would expect something that old to have a ton of character to it, but it, it doesn't mature in the bottle. So whatever they put it in the bottle at is what we're getting, even if it is 50 years after the fact. Yeah. And I think we both agreed that was the one that we liked the least. Yeah, and you know, I, I have had a wine that was from the 1980s, and I, I think that you get a depth in wine with aging it that we don't necessarily see here in this whiskey. All right, so moving on. The second from the bottom was whiskey number two. And number two was actually from a distillery called Orphan Barrel, and it's their rhetoric line, which is really famous among people who are like hardcore whiskey drinkers, but not super popular. This is their rhetoric 20 year. Wow. Yeah, so this is a 20-year whiskey, and it's only 90 proof. So we were actually off in our assessment that this was going to be a high proof. So maybe it's just because it was so aged. It's interesting to me that they waited 20 years because I wouldn't say that that was a great whiskey. And and there's certain times, you know, we've done enough interviews with master distillers to know that there's certain whiskeys that are better when they are aged for less time. And I'm curious what that whiskey would have tasted like if it had only been aged for 12, 14, or 16 years rather than a full 20 years. Yeah, bourbon is not one of those whiskeys that people typically like to age for long periods of time. It's not the same as scotch. And I've heard time and time again from distillers that because of the angel share that's coming out, uh, every year, depending on where you have it stacked in the rickhouse, you don't want to go over a certain number of years. I've heard 12 and I've heard 16 as the number of years you don't want to exceed. And I would say, you know, just this is my personal preference, but I didn't think that aging it up to 20 years made that specific bottle of whiskey any better. I would 100% agree with you on that, Bob. All right. So our third, our middle whiskey from the bottom was number four. which is from Big Escambia. It is their Detling brand 35-month whiskey. Now, this is bottled at 53.9% alcohol, so it's at about 107.8%. So it was a little over 100, which we said, you know, I thought it was around 100 proof. It was a pretty good bottle of whiskey. And for three years being aged, 
it had, you even commented, it was probably the darkest of the whiskeys we had. So it had a ton of character to it for only being aged three years. Yeah, there's some complexity to that whiskey that I enjoyed. And I'm happy to see that the whiskey from Big Escambia is on the better half of what, what we sampled today. Yeah, for sure. And that takes us into our second leading bourbon. That was number three. That was the one that we said had some of those more woody, piney notes, not quite as sweet, but definitely distinctive. And that was another Big Escambia release. That was the Detling brand, what they're calling Detling Bespoke, uh, because it is a pre-release bourbon. They have not actually released this onto the market yet. It is their white wheat bourbon. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't know a ton about it. I'm really happy that Seth sent us a, you know, a sample of something that hasn't even been put to market yet. It was really good whiskey. Yeah. I, I'm really interested in these that Big Escambia has sent us because I, I will say this. They are some of the more unique whiskeys I have ever had. Oh, for They're sure. They're not necessarily your classic bourbons. You know, you're going to get these and you're going to experience something different. And I would say they're worth it because you're experiencing something different. Now, I will say when we first started sampling, Brad, you said number one and number two were similar to each other. And that kind of worried us because those were very clearly our bottom two, and we were worried that those were going to be the biggest Gambia brand. But I'm really pleasantly surprised to find that three and four ended up being the ones from Biggest Gambia because they did have some of those more classic bourbon notes to it. But they were also, if you remember, we called number four the most unique one out of the whole flight. Uh Yeah, so they have something innovative going for them that you won't find everywhere. All right, Brad, are you ready to reveal the number one pick in our blind tasting flight. Jack Daniels. Is that your guess? No. <laughs> if you had to guess, now I will say, I, I'm looking at it right now. It's not Big Escambia brand. Okay. It is a brand that you probably know. Okay. What would you guess was in that bottle? Is it from Kentucky? Yes. Okay. It was bourbon, you know, it was bottle number five. It tasted the most like a mainline bourbon that I had that I smelled out of all five of those. I will tell you this: you have had this brand before. Yeah, I would say it, it does smell like mo- more of a mainline mass-produced whiskey. If I had to guess. Now, when you say mass-produced, are you talking like low quality? Or are you no, just talking- definitely not. I mean, you you can go get Woodford Reserve, and their Woodford Reserve basic normal whiskey is really really good. There's a reason it's so popular. We have had this whiskey on the podcast before, but because this is a single barrel whiskey, we have not had anything from this particular barrel before. And I will tell you that what we just drank in number five is... Barrel number 3811 from Henry McKenna, Bottled and Bond. Now remember, Henry McKenna was just voted the best whiskey in the world at the San Francisco Spirits Competition. Bob, you didn't say best bourbon. You said best best whiskey in the world. And we talked about how it may not be deserving of that title, but that the bottle that we had was full of peanut butter notes. This one wasn't quite as much peanut buttery, but it was still the best of this flight by, I would say I would prefer it quite a bit over the other ones in this flight. We actually only ranked it about half a point better than the Detling White Wheat. Yeah, I would totally agree with you. I remember enjoying the Henry McKenna a lot, and I'm reminded of it now that we drink it here. And that, you know, that's nothing against Big Escambia in any way. I was very interested in the two whiskeys that they gave us. They're unique, they're interesting, they're complex. 
But I will say the Henry McKenna is really, really good, even though we got a different barrel from the batch that won Best Whiskey. When we finished out our season one bracket, we talked about our top five whiskeys from season one. And I said that I had gone into that season with Weller Antique probably as my all-time favorite drinkable bourbon. And I came out of that season thinking, you know, maybe Henry McKenna would be above this. And I think this just goes to show that it's a completely different barrel with very different sort of notes to it. And I still liked it more than the four other bourbons that we had. I'm starting to think Henry McKenna might be my favorite everyday bourbon. They really put out a great product. I, I'll i be looking to pick them up in the future for sure. But you know who else makes a great product is Big Escambia. And they, their distribution is not huge. And honestly, I'd really love to get Seth on the podcast one of these days because I've heard him talk on other podcasts about the story of Big Escambia. And one of the really interesting things to me is that he says that in the state of Alabama, there's actually no process for building permits. So he just decided that he wanted to start a distillery and did it one day. And his story and the story of this distillery is so much rests on his uh, ingenuity. And I'm really impressed by what they're doing down there. I think their whiskey is fantastic, and I can't give them enough of a plug. Thank you so much for sending us these five different kinds of whiskey. Yeah, here at the Film and Whiskey Podcast, we obviously appreciate any free whiskey that is sent to us. (laughs) But even more so, we appreciate good whiskey being sent to us. And I would say, Big Escambia, you are on my radar. I am very interested to see what you continue to do in the whiskey world. Because like I said earlier, this is one of the most unique bourbon experiences I've had in a long time. Yeah, I would agree. And I think that should really be the final word for our episode today. We want to again say thanks so much to Big Escambia for sending us all this product. This was a really fun episode to do. And we will see you again next week for a regular episode on Monday. For the Film and Whiskey Podcast, I'm Bob Book. I'm Brad G. We'll see you next time. Thank you.